You're listening to The Invisible Blog. The Beginner's Guide to Shakespeare. Part 1. On the Creation of the Human Being. Why to Love Shakespeare. So, before we begin all of this, let's be honest. You hate Shakespeare. Okay, maybe you pretend to like it, or you like certain moments of it, but since it's just you and me, we can admit it. You fucking hate Shakespeare. And why wouldn't you, right? It's it's boring, largely indecipherable, overrated, and you're pretty sure, like, racist and sexist to boot. And since it's just you and me, I got good news. If you think those things, you are wrong. You're wrong about all of it, and if you know me, you know it's rare that I ever get to tell someone they are wrong with 100% confidence. I mean, I pay someone to check my spelling, but trust me, you're wrong about Shakespeare. Shakespeare is thrilling, easy enough for children to understand if they learn how to read it properly, largely underrated by the people who read it and some of the people who study it, and woke as fuck. I promise. Over the next couple of blogs, I'm going to try to pass along the greatest literary gift I was ever given. One that started with my parents, traveled down a long line of wonderful teachers, and landed right here with me. To give to you, if I can, a love of Shakespeare. So, why should you love Shakespeare? Well, to answer that question, I'm going to ask you one. What makes you human? Your thoughts? Your dreams, your ambitions, your secrets, a little bit of everything, probably. The complex mess that is you is what makes you human. And more than anything else, more than the beauty, the legacy, the stories, the characters, the poetry, that is what we owe Shakespeare, the creation of the human being. In the introduction to Harold Bloom's masterpiece, Shakespeare, The Invention of the Human, which, uh, by the way, if you read and end up liking these blogs, you should read Shakespeare, The Invention of the Human Being, because, baby, Eli loves Shakespeare, but Shakespeare loves Harold Bloom back. You know what I'm saying? So, introduction there, Bloom says, quote, Literary character before Shakespeare is relatively unchanging. Women and men are representatives aging and dying, but not as changing because their relationship to themselves rather than to the god or gods has changed. In Shakespeare, characters develop rather than unfold, and they develop because they reconceive themselves. And as impossible as a claim that is to believe, it's true. Take Oedipus Rex, right? A great play, a phenomenal play, but it unfolds. Things happen to the characters, and while they certainly become aware of their circumstances, the characters themselves don't really change. Listen to this monologue. Uh, It's toward the end of Oedipus Rex, and you'll see what I mean. At this point in the play... Oedipus's mother is dead, he's been blinded by his own hand, he's exiling himself forever, and he's bemoaning the fate of his children when he says, O children, where are you? Come here, come to my hands, a brother's hands which turned your father's eyes, those bright eyes you knew once to what you see, a father, seeing nothing, knowing nothing, begetting you from his own source of life, I weep for you. 
I cannot see your faces. I weep when I think of the bitterness there will be in your lives, how you must live before the world. It's good. Hey, it's great. Honestly, it's great. But it's informational. He weeps. How do we know he weeps? He says he weeps. What does he think, feel, want? We know. Because he tells us very plainly, it is poetry. It's beautiful poetry, but it's not Shakespeare. For contrast, let's take a much, much shorter passage from Shakespeare. King Lear, an old, fragile, half-mad king, spoiler alert, I guess, enters with his dead daughter in his arms. Howl. 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 Oh, you are men of stones, had I your tongues, and eyes I'd use them so that heaven's vault should crack. She's gone forever. You hear it, right? Lear doesn't tell us he weeps. He weeps. How does he feel? Like he wants to break open heaven with his howling. His howling. And then howling's uncomfortable, right? Even just to listen to. Those four howls are awkward and uncomfortable. And, but that's what it's like when we lose someone, isn't it? It's a howl. A howl that only the grieving understand. Well, the grieving and Shakespeare. But what if I told you that the works of William Shakespeare are actually better than understanding? What if I echoed Bloom's claim that Shakespeare did something much more significant? Bloom says, same introduction, quote, Shakespeare went beyond all precedents, even Chaucer, and invented the human as we continue to know it. A more conservative way of stating this would seem to me a weak misreading of Shakespeare. It might contend that Shakespeare's originality was in the representation of cognition, personality, character, but there is an overflowing element in the plays, an excess beyond representation, that is closer to the metaphor we call creation. The dominant Shakespearean characters, Falstaff, Hamlet, Rosalind, Iago, Lear, Macbeth, Cleopatra among them, are extraordinary instances not only of how meaning gets started rather than repeated, but also of how new modes of consciousness come into being. End quote. So, Again, Shakespeare is not just representative, but creative of who we are. Bloom points out later in this same essay that while this seems like a lofty claim for characters we understand to be purely literary, think of Jesus Christ, right? Real or no, accurately quoted or no, millions and millions of Christians and non-Christians alike credit a core part of the creation of who they are as human beings to his words, how many of us would just as freely give credit to the second most quoted figure in literature, Hamlet? How is the question of whether to be or not to be changed when we make the insane claim that William Shakespeare asked it of us first, and we've been asking it of ourselves ever since? If ever there were a time to make grand claims, it is in the light of the bard. So here is my promise to you. If you've never read Shakespeare before, if you've never enjoyed Shakespeare before, follow me down this road. Love like Juliet, rage like Lear, hate like Shylock, and wrestle with the dark like Hamlet with me. 
read these super simple love letters to the closest thing to divinity I have ever known. And if I have done my job here, if I even do a fraction of the job others have done for me, I will crack open a door for you to enter that will create your humanity anew. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. I know it's been a while. Uh, I hope you're as rared up to read some Shakespeare as I am. The next blog is all about how to read Shakespeare. So uh, if you're a little bit overwhelmed, don't worry. I'm going to do my best to set you up for success uh, before we actually talk about any of the plays. If you enjoyed this, you can check out patreon.com forward slash Eli Bosnick. Give as little as a dollar to help support the blog. And if you're already a patron, thank you forever. And stay tuned for a patron-only afterthoughts the first great teacher 